Rogue Radio. Now available on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com forward slash rogue country. Keep it rogue. How's it going, guys? Welcome to another episode of Into the Van. I'm Mike West. How have you been? Hope you're keeping well. I've been doing okay. I just have been shifting through a lot of Pokemon cards. I know I'm in my 30s and that's a weird thing, but I swore down I had a ton of old cards from when I was a kid and they were in my mum and dad's loft and I knew they were there, man, and I knew and they finally let me up to have a look and I found them. I've gone through them and I think I might have something here. I might have something worth selling, so I've put them all on to Facebook Marketplace onto some Pokemon groups I've done a deep dive into those and I'm hoping to you know hopefully make some cash on them I'll be using it to fund the next record I assume hopefully but that's what I've been doing this week what have you guys been up to let me know send me a message on Facebook Instagram Twitter or wherever and let me know what you've been up to because I like to know I care I really enjoy what people are up to and it might be an interesting thing to have a little talk about I'm gonna keep this short and sweet because this is a long episode because this is a fucking brilliant episode in my opinion and before we get super into it mothman is out now mothman is going to be available for streaming on the 9th of march it's been on bandcamp since the 9th of february and the response has been absolutely amazing people have been buying t-shirts people have been buying the handwritten lyric sheets and the stickers and the support's just been absolutely phenomenal i couldn't wish for anything better so i'm going to drop a little taster in for you now Red eyes in the darkness do warn me of a fate Racing down a darkened road, praying it's not too late I saw Mothman I saw If you dig it, it's available on Bandcamp right now and it's going to be on all streaming services from the 9th of March, which is two days after this podcast is released. But let's get down to it, man. If you know me, if you know this podcast, if you know my music, you know how big a fan of comic books I am. I've been to a ton of comic conventions for many, many years. I've met Stan Lee. I've got a ton of comic book artwork. I've got a ton signed. I've got a look like it's it's been something I've loved since I was a kid when me nan got me my first Spider-Man comic when I was like five or six from WH Smith's and I've loved it ever since. One of those comics and one of those artists and one of those teams that I fell in love with in my teens in 2009-ish was uh, J.H. Williams. They brought out a book on Batwoman and it was a reimagining of the characters. It was a reboot just before DC redid all their comics with the launch of New 52. And absolutely adored his style. He worked with Hayden Blackman. He worked with Greg Rooker on creating the character and the mythos and the legacy of it. And ever since then, I've been a huge fan of his paneling, of his work, of his style, of his writing. And I've, it's just, he's just been one of those artists I've been absolutely enamored with and respected for a fucking long time. So obviously, I've followed him on social media since I found out he had a social media. And he has such an eclectic taste in music. And he always posts what he's listening to. So, you know, I'd always chuck a few likes on that and stuff. Just, you know, nothing 
nothing creepy, nothing stalkery, nothing hey notice me. It was just, oh, I really like that record. I really like that thing. And then I got a tweet back when he followed me and, you know, he listened to my music and said it was good. And then when the next Life pre-order came out in 2020, he was on that pre-order list. He'd bought a copy of the vinyl, like the next Life vinyl. And that fucking just absolutely blew my mind. And we've stayed in semi-contact since then because I'm a huge fucking fan of his work. He likes my music, which is absolutely amazing. And I knew with the podcast, I'd have to have him on at some point. And with the release of his new series with Hayden Blackman, Echo Lands, which just finished its first six-issue arc in February, I thought now was a great time. The hardcover's coming out soon, so I messaged him and see if he had time. It took a bit of scheduling and stuff, but he's on. But Echo Lands is this phenomenal take on the fairy tale world and it's just an insane a way to approach the medium everyone thinks comic books is superheroes and it has to be a certain way and look a certain way and this creative team have completely thrown the rule book out and made something their own it's phenomenal and at the end of each comic at the end of each issue is a sounds of creation segment where you have what jh williams has been listening to while he's been drawing that issue at the end of issue six the next life is at the end of that issue and I hadn't read it and I hadn't seen it before I talked to JH and after that I am um, <laughs> I'm you know I'm not ashamed to say I cried a bit to have my name and my music in an image book by a creative team that I've been absolutely a fan of since I found them it was it's just I don't know what impact I'll ever make with my music but it was just something that you know, that's a career and personal highlight for me, and it's just been something that's blown me away, and yet, I urge you to check out Echolands, issue 6, I'm at the back of it with my little Mike West, the Next Life white vinyl, and it humbled me to my core, I sent him an email to thank him, and he's just a really fucking nice guy, we get into how he's worked with the sword, and he's worked with Blondie, and it's a really, really interesting creative talk about comic books, about the medium, about your health, about how you look after yourself, and it goes on for a while because I just couldn't not listen to the guy. It's just like it was talking to an old friend. It was absolutely amazing to talk to. So I'm not going to ramble for too much longer because I could just ramble about how much his work has meant to me and how much this conversation meant to me and how much seeing my little name and my little record in the back of a phenomenal book just blew me away and meant so much. But, you know, we get into that. We get into all of his work and how much of a fan of him I am. And I hope it's obviously going to come across to this because, again, I am rambling. So let's do it, guys. Without further ado, this is episode 46 of Into the Van with Mike West and J.H. Williams. With, in terms of your creation and stuff, do you try and set time aside as like as almost like a nine to five for your routine or is it kind of ad hoc when you have the time in between your life i try to keep it uh pretty regimented Mm. um uh but that can be difficult sometimes because uh you know life stuff comes up and you're like oh okay well so much for uh my work hours today Mm. you know and um yeah it's kind of strange i i i've been doing this for so long now that makes me wonder how people who have to have a regimented job, uh, no matter what, don't who don't have the luxury of being able to set it down if something comes up, mm. how they deal with the thing that comes up. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, that, I think that's kind of, I don't know if it's the same situation in the States, but a lot of 
with admin jobs and things here, a lot of people work from home and that kind of tipped the balance to like work life where it's like if something did come up or they just needed to like do maintenance or do just clean the house, it just offered people a bit more time to do stuff. And I think that's yeah. why there's a pushback to people coming in the office in the UK. There's still a lot of people being like, no, this working from home split is working. Yeah, especially because it's like, you know, here's the thing I don't understand from any corporations that are pushing back on employees who are able to work from home. Um, doesn't affect their their job performance. If anything, I've heard uh, uh, productivity is actually higher mm-hmm. if people work from home. Pushing them to come back to the to back to the office, and it's like. I don't understand this. It's like, how does that benefit the company to force someone to come into an office that they don't want to be at? Yeah. If they can do the job as good or better from where they are. Yeah, right? 100%. I think even if you broke it down like fiscally, surely if they got rid of their office space or whatever, that yes. would then save them even more. But it is interesting to see that kind of debate coming a bit more into the forefront because, you know, me and my wife have thought about it where it's you have that time to work from home where it is the, even just like not having the commute a game changer in terms of what you want to do with your day for sure and i i wonder if some of the pushback that's starting to happen from corporations is they're trying to justify their office expense yeah when when they have their their accounting has to be showing them you really don't need all the space mm. Yeah. at this point but they've either made lease agreements or something in their way they budgeted things and they they're trying to justify the the existence for that space so mm. no I, I i can only assume i'm not you know i don't mm. know any facts about it it's just like to me that seems like maybe a logical reason mm. uh, if their employees are performing better at home you know leave them be yeah <laughs> No, definitely more for you. Yeah, no, definitely. And with your work, do you have like obviously it's not as like regimented and stuff can come up, but do you have like a set time you're like, I'm gonna work for six hours or whatever, or is it like I want to complete a page, or is like more like task orientated or hour orientated, like your framework? Uh it's sometimes I try to keep a set uh set amount of hours. Um, you know, I probably work on average uh maybe seven to eight hours mm. um you know with a lunch break or a breakfast break mm. um sometimes it'll go over uh because like i'm in the middle of a process of something and i'm like oh i i gotta finish this this figure or something mm. like that when i probably should have not started the figure and left it for the next morning <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> so <laughs> that happens sometimes uh, but there's other times where I'll, I, the day will be shorter because mm. of, you know, like I don't want to start a certain process now because I know if I do, yeah, it'll, I'll be working till, <laughs> you know, an extra two and a half hours. And I, I don't, I don't like to do that because, mm. you know, there's stuff around daily stuff around the house that, you know, it's time to cook dinner or yeah. whatever kind of things come up. I got to, you know, be better about taking care of my health and exercise yeah. and all that kind of stuff comes into play. So mm-hmm. I've always, I, but I've always been pretty good about keeping it a set time, you know, for the mm-hmm. most part. Um, and I, 
I get a little frustrated when things do come up and take away from that time and that time cannot be made up. Yeah. I, I'm not the type of individual like, well, I lost four hours today because of X, Y, and Z. Well, I better work another four hours tonight mm. into the night. I used to do that and that was bad. That was really bad. Mm. So I just have to, uh, I have to come to terms with like, okay, the day just that's the way the day went and try not to be frustrated with it, which is yeah. hard sometimes. Cause you're like, uh, I need to get this done. Especially when the pages I work on take a long time to begin with mm. to complete them. So uh, any, any little things like that can be, you know, emotionally a navigation. <laughs> so. yeah. No, definitely. And saying about like the breaks and things like I had to do, um, all I had to do was write a few like lyric sheets today for people who had bought some stuff on my uh, site. And I only did about 12 over the space of an hour and a half. I was just uh-huh. using Sharpies. And even then was just like my hand and my neck was just like cramping up. Do you have oh. to like stretch regularly and get away from your desk and stuff? Cause I've seen the pages you fucking do, man. Like <laughs> that's a lot of detail and a lot of time. Do you have to take regular breaks to stretch your neck and just click everything out of place? Yeah. I mean, it helps that, you know, I take a snack break or breakfast break. Um, lately though, I've been pretty bad about getting to work right away. Mm. Um, so I end up, you know, maybe watching some news items or something like that while drinking some coffee and then, then I'll come in here for maybe an hour and then we'll have a breakfast break after mm. that. Um, so I have like little breaks here and there and I do, you know, stretch my hand out a lot. Um, I find I don't get that much neck strain and stuff. I don't know if it's because I've been doing it for so mm. long that my, uh, my body's used to what it requires. Yeah. To, for the day but by the end of the day you know there's times where you know i have to really massage my hand really Mm. well because it's gotten sore or whatever um and particularly because i have uh i have to be very conscious of it because my my mom's side of the family has um for lack of a better term a tremor Mm. uh it's not identified as any particular uh a disease like Parkinson's mm. or anything like that. It's like one of those, the doctors kind of talk about it as if like, it's one of those unknown neurological Just a medical things. mystery type thing. Yeah. That can be passed down through family. And a lot of people on my mom's side of the family has it. She has it really bad. Mm. Um, I started developing it years ago and I hadn't realized it was coming on. And uh, I tried in my work, I was, I didn't realize I was compensating for it. And I ended up developing carpal tunnel. Mm. And so I had to have that treated for a while. This was back, I think when I was working on, uh, it set in when I was working on the first book of seven soldiers, Mm. I think, um, first or second book of seven soldiers. And I had to get a lot of treatment for it. Didn't need surgery or anything. Thank God. Um, uh, but so I, I have to stretch it out and stuff. And it's something I contend with every day. And that's a little bit of the reason why my pages take a long time too, because I do like having them detailed. Uh, but, it, you know, I have to, it's a dexterity control issue yeah. at that point. And uh, unfortunately, I don't suffer a lot of pain. It's just sometimes my hand will get sore, that mm. achiness yeah. thing. You massage it out and, 
just be very conscious of it. And I'm conscious of what I do too with that particular hand in terms of heavy lifting things mm. or stuff like that. Cause you don't want to set that carpal tunnel issue off again. Yeah. But uh, I ended up doing acupuncture actually. Oh, really? Uh, did that help like much? Yeah. It, I did it for maybe six months and it, it really helped mm. a lot because the pain was uh, so bad. Like I couldn't grip things uh, for a period of time. Or mm. if I did, it was very painful. Like the sharp, hot mm. knife pain right in right in here um so that helped a lot and then just keeping things stretched out and stuff yeah mm. pretty pretty wild <laughs> yeah man it's brutal like i've got um in my right hand i fell on some glass in a bar and so oh, no. two two tendons and a nerve in my hand so which oh, lost no. the mobility of my third finger um, oh, so i had to have i had to have two operations on it and like i still can't feel down the side of Oh, that no. finger, which is why I suck at finger picking on the guitar. Well, that's my excuse anyway. <laughs> it, it is one of those things where it's even if I'm like pushing a trolley and it's like on an uneven surface where it's like rattling, that'll yeah. fuck my hand up for a bit if it's cold. And like, oh, I'll yeah, be on my sure. com- if I'm on like on my computer on a mouse, I can feel like my hand starts like freeze up. And it is yeah. like a weird thing where you just have to be conscious of letting it take breaks and rest up and heal. But I assume yeah. you have a better setup in your office space as well for where you draw like today i was literally just hunched over the dining table like a cretin doing all these things and that's why right. everything yeah, yeah. hurts when i stood up yeah 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 i have you know uh, uh i don't know if i can will this thing turn no <laughs> um uh yeah i have a, a really nice um custom-made art table oh nice um that i did i i bought that had that made oh man I want to say 15 years ago now. Mm. Um, it's uh, really heavy wood and a uh, cherry finish. Nice. Nice art table. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. And I, I don't know, like, I can't see your office and stuff. Um, but do you have much like art on the walls and things? Do you have like things yeah. around for inspiration? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to this side over here, I have a Michael Golden uh, Fantastic Four cover. Nice. That was gifted to me from my wife. Uh, I have a Seth Fisher uh, Batman Snow cover from the book that we did together before he passed away. Um, a Vampirilla poster, classic poster. My, one of the fun things I have is I have an old ad print from, it's, it's, it says Dairy Chocolate on it, but it's Batman. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, a couple blondie things. Mm. Um, I have my uh, DC sent me um, one of the images that they would use at a convention mm. uh, for when they're promoting stuff. You know the, how they would put stuff in, you know, up on their uh, displays and stuff. And they they apparently made one for the first Batwoman cover. Mm. Uh, and they just randomly sent it to me uh, years ago. It's interesting because it's like on this almost like a plastic. Oh, really? Yeah. So I got that framed up and put up because I thought that was cool. Mm. Uh, I got a Jim Steranko signed uh, folded poster, which from something that's not his one of his more famous images. Mm. It's like this barbarian thing called Talon. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I, uh, I think the first time I met him, he had one of those at his table. And I'm like, it was Harley. He was asking Harley anything for it. I'm like, I'll take it. <laughs> you know, and he decided to. Uh, and then I have uh, framed up my um, copies of my sword album cover and the mm-hmm. Blondie album cover that I did. Uh, that's pretty much it besides the menagerie of toys in the background. With kind of comic art and stuff you've collected was that all from conventions do you have like a book like i've got a few uh, pieces like i've got a peter laid ninja turtle sketch and a val myrick man thing and stuff do you have like that itch to collect those type of pieces or is it when you're at a con if something pops up you'll grab it um i'm really bad about collecting original art from comics um there's stuff i would love to have I have a few things, but a lot of it isn't framed up right now. Uh, we have plans to get them framed up. Uh, but my wife recently bought me for, uh, as a gift, this uh, Steve Rude nice. next painting. <laughs> so that'll be getting framed up uh, mm. soon. Um, but as far as pages I own, I've got... Um, I've got like a Gene Ha uh, page from Top Ten, mm. uh, which he gifted to me. It was really sweet of him. Mm. Um, my wife bought me a Rick Veach Swamp Thing spread. And then I've got some Bernie Wrightson pages from, from later in his career. I think from, oh, what was it? The Ghoul or something like that. Mm stuff like you know it's just random, random yeah. things here and there um i've got michael lark uh set of panels that were i think spliced into a page oh really daredevil. was it daredevil or detective comics i can't remember mm. so i've got a bunch of things like that i want to get framed up <laughs> cool man and with your own work is it mainly like traditional like pen and ink that you do or have you moved over to digital or no digital for me. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of persnickety. I, I like the the aspect of being traditional. Yeah. Um, I like the risk of not being able to just easily fix something if mm. it doesn't go down the way yeah. I want. Um, and try to live with what's there, or try to make something that's a mistake not a mistake. Yeah. So like you puzzle it out. <laughs> um. Uh, also, I think because of the thing I was telling you about with the dexterity issues, I think I don't know if I would it would work as well mm. digitally. Yeah, I think I'd have a hard time navigating the the um, sensitivity of the yeah. tools. You mm. know, mm. and with like uh, a lot of your work, do you have like all like a lot of the pages you've kept? Because I don't think I've ever seen many of your pages kind of pop up to be sold or on like any dealer sites or anything do you keep yeah. the, the majority of your work no we sell a lot of it but i don't do i don't use any agents to do mm. it so people have to contact me directly yeah. uh i have some things in like my web store mm. is where usually most of it goes or there's things that we keep too yep. but we don't keep a ton of it um uh so uh, yeah um yeah, and that's the other cool thing about doing it uh, traditionally is that one-of-a-kind artifact yeah. aspect, you know? Mm. 
that uh, even if I don't own it and someone else does, it it's like this one of a kind artifact that exists out there in the world. Mm. You know, uh, there's something I I appreciate about that aspect. You yeah, know? yeah. All right, and obviously you mentioned working with like the sword and Blondie. How did those kind of projects come around to do music, like artwork for music and bands? Well, it was something I was always kind of fascinated with, uh, as you know from previous conversations where I'm a big music fan and um, I had done a little bit of things here and there with Danzig Mm. uh, some comics things for him here and there Um, and that sort of got me thinking like oh you know it'd be cool to do art for musicians Mm. Um, and the Blondie thing happened kind of in a weird it was a really weird way so me, my wife, our friends from Isotope in San Francisco, which is a great comic shop, and um, uh, our friend Victor, who's friends with them, we're all Blondie fans. So I get this random uh, text from James Syme at the Isotope mm. saying, hey, Blondie's going to be playing you know, just north of here and they have VIP tickets. We all, we, you know, meet and greet tickets. He's like, we all got to, we all should go. You know, this is when we, yeah. we lived in California and we lived about two and a half hours from, from San Francisco at the time. And they were playing at, at a place just north of San Francisco. Mm. And so we thought about it like, oh, that'd be so cool. And so we, we went in and did it. It's expensive to do, but mm. we decided to do it. And I thought that was, oh. I keep getting a telemarketer call. Uh, and um, so we went, and at the time, the the first uh, hardcover Batwoman had just come out. Mm. And so I'm like, I'm going to bring this because we're going to have this meet and greet, and we're going to, I'm going to, you know, hand them a copy of the book. So they, as a, you know, like, yeah. hey, this is what I do. Mm. Hope you like it. And so it was interesting. The first, you know, the mean greet happens before the show. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, we're nervous. The band is clearly like, oh, we're meeting a bunch of strangers. This is awkward. <laughs> you know, I could barely speak. <laughs> uh, and I gave them the book. And then the, then they did, you know, the, the obligatory uh photo taken and all that stuff and then we were escorted out and for the show to start but as we were walking out uh debbie harry was uh, in the side room um uh and my wife saw her with the book open and she was looking at it and pointing it to somebody and saying that's you know they just gave this to us check this out and so that was cool so at least i knew it was being looked at right uh so we go to the show. The show is fantastic, of course. We check out the merch booth after the show, and we're talking a little bit with the opening band who was there, and they were signing their CD. Mm. Um, and they're like, "You guys have VIP tickets. What are you doing out here?" <laughs> you know. And we're like, "Oh, well, we were, the meet and greet was before the show." And they're like, "No, no, no, no. Come on." <laughs> and so they took us backstage, and we're hanging out there uh, in the in their. Uh, whatever the, the lounge room is yeah. back there and there's some other ha- people who clearly are friends of the band people 
they're hanging mm. around. So there, a bunch of people are there. The band's not out. Uh, and then they finally start to come out and Chris Stein sees us and makes a beeline right for us. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, man, that book, that is something else. That is a hell of a book. Uh, and just was, you know, talking to us a little bit. And James Syme, <laughs> he's so funny. He's like, he's like, Chris, this guy here, he's like, he's like, uh, you got to know what he, what he does. He, he goes, he's like, he's super uh, talented comic book artist, well-regarded. And he, and he, and he goes, he, he's worked with Alan Moore. <laughs> and then Chris paused for saying like, you know, Alan Moore. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, so that turned to kind of change, pivoted the conversation in a weird way, surprising mm. way. And I get awkward in social situations, particularly if I'm, you know, see a possible uh, opportunity to try something, to work with somebody I hadn't yeah. worked with or whatever. I have kind of bad etiquette sometimes. Like, so the the first time I met Neil Gaiman was super awkward. <laughs> Uh, but I just blurted it out. I'm like, well, if you ever need an artist, <laughs> I just blurted yeah. it out. Just no like pretense. And Chris paused for about five seconds. Five seconds. He goes, next album cover. Nice. <laughs> just like that. And so you're like, are you serious? And he's like, no, yeah. It's, you know. And then you you get you leave the show. Hmm. You go to your hotel room or whatever. And we're all like, oh my god, that was so great. And you like, is it, oh, he's just, he's being nice, mm. right? By the time I, uh, we left uh, to head back home, he'd already left the message on my phone. Nice. Oh, and in that time frame, was like, he's, I didn't realize who you were. He's, I l- looked you up and he's like, and he, he's apologizing to me because he didn't know who I was. <laughs> and I'm like, you're, you're, you're fucking Chris Stein. <laughs> you know? Uh and that's how that whole thing started. So he was deadly serious, yeah. you know? Um, and then they, they were just about to release panic of girls mm. and they did an edition of panic of girls that came with like a, a special magazine and a deluxe version of the CD. And in the magazine, they put Batwoman art and announcing I was going to do the next album cover hmm. right in there. I'm like, so yeah, and that's how that got started. And that turned into a long process because Blondie takes their time. Yeah. A lot of time between albums sometimes. So I got that job. And then randomly with the sword, I just got an email out of the blue for that from mm-hmm. their business manager saying, Hey, the sword guys love your work. Would you ever consider doing an album cover for them? Mm-hmm. And I was like, Yes. <laughs> so I, it's it, the timeline is funny because I got the Blondie gig first, the Sword gig second, the Sword gig album cover comes out first, mm. then the Blondie cover. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, uh, and then uh, I've done a little bit of work with um, Jerry Other from Misfits. Mm. Uh, probably will be doing more with him. Just did another thing for Blondie. Uh, and then, uh, and then uh, another band. I don't know if, how much of that stuff I can say publicly yeah. yet. Mm. But I love that whole idea 
of mm-hmm. working with musicians because I love music so much. And it also broadens my horizons creatively to try yeah. to do things mm-hmm. that are not comics, you know? Yeah. Do you approach it differently? Because I can imagine with comics, it's especially with creative stone stuff like Echo Lens, you can have like this specific vision and you don't really need to appease anyone except like yourself but when it's working with a musician it's was there a lot of like concept sketching or drafting like I've just had um, a Mothman single come out and I was working quite a lot with the artist at the very first stages to just get the first look right with like what we wanted to do was that kind of process with those type of musician projects surprisingly relatively simple actually Mm. The Blondie thing was kind of surprising because, you know, here's this legendary band. I mean, like worldwide legendary yeah. band, right? Uh, super iconic. One of the most influential bands to ever come along. And so I was super nervous. For one, I was a huge Blondie fan mm. to begin with since childhood. So the whole prospect of even talking to them on the phone, like I saved Chris Stein's voicemail on my <laughs> voicemail forever. <laughs> Because it's like it's just so yeah. so surreal of an experience for me. Um so but when it came time to talk about the album, they sent me demos. And uh so I listened to them and I I always confer with my wife a lot mm. uh, about ideas, particularly if I'm unsure of something. Um and so we both were listening to songs and trying to get a feel for it, and it had this particular kind of interesting quality and so we wanted to think of ideas that fit the feel mm. the music but yet be something unique and so i ended up getting on the phone with chris and debbie uh to talk to them a little bit about the ideas and they were just sort of like yeah sure whatever whatever you, whatever you want to do mm. very hands-off it was very mm. strange um uh which in some ways made me even a little bit more nervous because it's like well what if they hate the final product Mm -hmm. you know um but along the way it ended up being in such an interesting back and forth conversation not on the visuals but on uh just the whole thought process behind the album to Mm -hmm. where chris stein actually was like hey i'm trying to think of some you know, album titles, you know, <laughs> they hadn't even named the album. Cause that's one of the things I, I, I wanted to know before I actually did anything. Yeah. And we went through a list of names between me, him and my wife. And they ended up settling on uh, a name that we, we thought of. No way. So, yeah. So we got to help name the album, which was really surreal. Uh-huh. But once we knew what that was, it helped yeah find the direction of all the visuals um and even at that point i didn't really i think i might did a a thumbnail sketch but Mm. i don't i think most of it was just like verbal description yeah on the phone and they were you know they're just like yeah go for it whatever Mm. you know uh and then and then when i had it all done the package design done for the lp cd uh deluxe cd so there was like three different variations of the packaging uh and each one of them has something kind of different about them and i sent them all the files man that was a seriously nerve-wracking day because it's like (laughs) i sent all the files and it is crickets (laughs) 
no didn't hear from them till the end of the day and i finally get a phone call from chris oddly enough while i was at at the local comic shop and he's like no it's great love it love everything mm. about it debbie thinks it's one of the best uh album pieces album cover art we've had mm. amazing <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was uh, the sword guys uh i was in close communication with jd uh the singer um it was much much more of a conceptual conversation mm. uh so i would send send them compositional sketches based on the conversation we had but it was it was a lot of they were highly receptive to the what i wanted to do yeah they just wanted to make sure they i they understood it i guess mm. um and uh and a lot of the concepts i came up with were based on conversations i had with him about what what does he feel like the album is about yeah lyrics are about that kind of thing mm. uh, and we stumbled on this his whole idea of what the word apocryphon means and that led to a conversation about um the alphabet of desire mm. which is you know a magical practice uh where you you come up with some sort of mantra or um a want mm. something you need fulfilled and you write a sentence that represents that you take the first letter of each word and make a sigil out of those letters mm. and then you you uh meditate on it and you can either uh destroy it at that point and let it go mm. um it, but that's a personal decision if you want yeah. to do that and he loved that idea the whole notion of that and so we use that as a premise for the sigils that represent represent each song and then i had each member of the band uh come up with their own uh uh inca- you know mantra of desire whatever mm. that is tell me what the letters are don't tell me the sentence mm. so it's personal to them um and i created a sigil for each one of them mm. and then jd came up with something for the album so there's an album sigil that i have no idea what that means at all yeah oh wow. yeah. yeah yeah so that's so that sort of thing wouldn't have happened without having those yeah know conversations that's Mm. i love that you know yeah that's so cool is there any like bucket list bands or anyone that you'd like consider like working with that would be like the ultimate dream if you got to do some album artwork for them oh man that's a loaded question (laughs) (laughs) uh as far as like okay so like a current artist that's doing lots of new work it'd be amazing to work with somebody like john batiste Mm. that would be brilliant his uh album that came out this last year was probably the best album uh, all year for sure i mean mm. it deserved every award it's up for mm. um older bands classic bands are still around this is a pipe dream because i don't think it would ever happen primarily because the way the band operates now but the sisters of mercy mm. that'd be uh, cool. yeah that'd be <laughs> that'd be incredible uh fields of nephilim would be incredible but i think i think they kind of do their all their own mm. visuals possibly uh fields mm. uh 
those are two bands that yeah. had a huge impact on my on my life so that would be yeah that'd be pretty incredible uh but yeah <laughs> i i'd be open to it anything i at one point i actually got an email from uh wu-tang clan <laughs> uh wanting to do something and then it just i don't know what happened there it's just sort of like yeah. i got the message and we talked a little like i sent a reply back and it just like evaporated yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. and then they, they moved on to just making that one solid gold record for yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah they were like what if we just did gold yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah i I'd, i'm i'd be open to working with any number of bands for sure yeah um you know it's hard to pinpoint who you'd be more excited over yeah other than maybe someone you grew up with yeah Mm. so yeah but touching on what you were talking about uh, the blondie meet and greet one thing i've kind of wondered about comic artists like yourself and stuff if you do comic conventions and things i always thought comic conventions were a bit of a weird place for artists and things because if you're a comic artist or a writer you aren't really necessarily an extroverted person you aren't used to wanting to you know meet a ton of people especially yeah. strangers at around, like any point yeah, in time yeah. are Lots those society stuff yeah, yeah are those difficult situations because it is one of those things where if you're lo- locked in a room for six hours a day working on comics and things you are in your own kind of space and world and then you're thrust into you know if it's san diego convention or yeah. a comic convention with thousands of people are those like not necessarily just like highly stressful things even though they are you know great and positive things you can get out of them are those situations that you do kind of get anxious about yeah i do um you know i i feel like i you know i have social anxiety issues uh a lot but over the course of doing conventions i guess because i did a lot of conventions before my career was something Mm. talk about um so I, I was used to that sort of parameter of, de- you know, talking to fans and stuff, but that dynamic changed a little bit, the more my career yeah. grew. Um, so there is a little bit of a weird element. This sounds strange to say, and it's not a bad thing, but you do have this feeling of like, okay, I have to be on. Yeah. You know? And so it, that can be a little bit, uh, you can get tired from that a little mm. bit. It's not, I'm not, you know, trying to say it's a, a negative thing that to be, to be on. Yeah. But there is that certain, you don't want to be around fans and leave them with a terrible feeling, you know, yeah. they're there to see you. They want to have a good experience and you want to, you, you want to feel like you've given them uh, Yeah worth worthy of your time and their time at this you know, mm-hmm. both um but you know it can be a little tricky because you you, you want to be conscientious of what you say how you interact and yeah. things like that you know so i imagine for somebody like blondie at one of those meet and greets is like it's probably similar for them and in, in a lot of ways but where they probably like well <laughs> you know there's that weird awkwardness yeah. for uh I think the thing I'm happiest the most with, with that, how that whole thing came out besides doing the artwork is the fact how um, incredibly receptive Mm. uh, they are. Uh, Particularly Chris is so receptive, you know, 
we quickly fell into what feels like a friendship. Yeah. You know, I can text him randomly and we talk you know, mm-hmm. randomly that way. Uh, if they're in town, I get to go see them, mm-hmm. hang out for a while, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So they're extremely down to earth. So I think they, you know, they're probably feel like, you know, like a, a comic artist does at a convention where you're know, like, you want to, you want to be able to relax and just be yourself, yeah. but, you know, and yeah. it's good if you can get to know people uh, in a way that allows you to do that, to, to kind of take that edge off a yeah. little of yeah. the situation. Yeah, no, definitely. Cause I know, cause I've been to like conventions around the UK and stuff and I've had some interactions with like artists and writers and they've not been the best. They've been either a bit short or stuff. And it's one of those mm. things where I start like, well, it's not their job to do this and it's the same thing if you go to a comic-con and there's like celebrities there or it's like they they still have their own shit to deal with. they still have their own anxieties and issues yes. to get through so it's yeah. you could have caught them on a bad day you could just be catching them where they've been drained if it's like the second or yes. third day of a convention it's like there's only so much gas in the tank yeah yeah you know i'm, I'm sure there's been instances where someone walked away feeling like i wasn't as interactive with them as they would have liked you know, mm. I'm sure there's been instances like that. And a lot, a lot of times it depends on what point of the convention too. Yeah. You know, like if it's, if it's a long convention and you're day three or four, you know, yeah, it's hard to have the, the brain power mm. to hold a, a, a better conversation yeah. to somebody, you know, mm. um, it's tough. So like, you know, at cons, a lot of people want sketches and stuff. Um, I quickly got to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm only going to do one or two sketches a day. Mm. Not somewhat a little bit nicer piece than the fast thing, primarily because I wanted to be able to slow things down yeah. for people who come up to the table. So I'm not just like constantly, yeah. you know, face down and ignoring them. I can just take it easy and try to give them some attention because um, they're, they've come to see you, you know? Yeah. So. Mm. have you done any conventions in the uk uh no because i was thinking well, i've i've gone to conventions it, since like 2012 yeah mm. yeah i did some uh signings but i don't think i've actually done a proper convention in the uk mm. uh i've gotten some invites but it's always a, a, a the worst time yeah it's like i turned down a lot of invites because of timing uh uh for one, conventions are hard to do. Yeah. Um, just in general. And so I have to, and it takes a lot of time away from my projects and my projects, like I was saying before, the pages take forever. So if I travel, that's like a yeah. lot for me to take mentally and emotionally take on like, oh, that's time away from my project and, and that kind of thing. Well, I, st- but when I'm there, I do enjoy myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we did, as far as Europe is concerned, we haven't done any shows in the UK. We did do uh, Spain mm. um, and we did uh, Belgium and France. Uh, and then from there, I think part of that trip, we went up and did some store signings mm. in the UK. And do you think like conventions are necessary to promote comics or do you think there's a best way to promote them? Because obviously from the music side of things, I kind of see like 
you know, single reviews, like press publications, that kind of stuff. But with comics, there's really like review sites and then sometimes conventions, but really they're too, they aren't enough of a cycle to really sink your teeth into to promote something regularly, unless you have like a huge stall with lots of copies for sale. Yeah, I think there was a period of time where conventions were a great place to uh, promote your projects. Um, But Here's as an example, San Diego Comic Con mm. is so massive that it got to a point. I feel like, and probably still will be that way when it returns. Uh, it's so massive that you get lost in the crowd yeah. of announcements and this and that. As an example, you know when Sandman Overture was announced at the convention, it had all this press. You had outside press from outside of comics coming in, mm-hmm. doing all these interviews and uh, doing a big giant panel and all that stuff. And then yet, even with all of that, there was people that didn't know it existed mm. for, you know, even after it came out, there was mm. people that didn't know it existed. So it made me wonder about how relevant those mm. events are in terms of promoting stuff nowadays. Um, uh, even like with Echo Lance, Echo Lance, we had a lot of people talking about it, and and, and still it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Yeah, where people, I didn't even know this thing existed. It's like, mm. oh, we all, it was only you know advertised everywhere, you know, like, <laughs> mm. kind of thing. So, and I don't think it's necessarily the the website, like if it's a review site or mm. a comics news site fault or conventions fault it's i think there's just so much yeah. material that people can forget about things yeah. quite easily there's mm. just so much to take in take in now you know yeah it's like the best and worst thing about the internet is just there's so much content that it can just everything gets lost in the shuffle yeah yeah and uh and i'm i'm terrible <laughs> personally like with echo lands you know being my own project i'm not the best promoter in a lot of ways i'm <laughs> yeah. not like one of those guys like on there 24 7 pushing that button uh for one i don't know how some of those guys do it in the first place mm. you know, like how are you getting the work done <laughs> but um i just don't have that brain Damn. i guess to to uh to be constantly in promotion mode yeah i'm like just yeah so it's like you have that to contend with too, you know, yeah. how good are you at, at being the, the guy selling your wares, you know? <laughs> yeah. But then that comes down to the same thing where it's like, can you be on all the time? Cause then that's just going to be another drain on yourself, especially yeah. if you're in the middle of a project and creating, you don't want to be burning yourself out on Twitter when you've got yeah. your actual creative shit to deal with. Yeah. So like, that's a really good point. So like when Echo Lands was, uh, about to hit the shelves you know i was doing tons of interviews um for the promotion of it so you know, a lot of it set up through image or myself mm. and it's interesting because that little period of time you don't get to get much work done yeah it just so it actually ate away at the production schedule uh doing that sort of stuff so 
any of that sort of that's the thing is like that the promotion the promotion stuff is work yeah you know and it's hard it's hard for that to not interfere with what actually needs to get done because at mm-hmm. the end of the day what anyone actually cares about is the end result they want to have that book in their hands you yeah. know um yeah and when when you're someone an artist like me that takes a long time that, that can be that can be uh, hard to navigate and uh and, you know I, i've you know lit the last couple months i've had to you know tell myself it's sort of a little out of my control yeah you know uh so like we'll have a publishing gap between issues six and seven mm. of echo lands i don't know how long that gap is going to be yet because i'm still on issue seven uh and um and so it's like one of those things my me and my wife had talked about it and she's you know because i get stressed about that dynamic and she's like well is there anything you can really do about it i'm like no and she's like okay yeah, it's just you know, the 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 readership has to ex- either accept it or they don't. Yeah, you know what can you do? Yeah, you know, you know, yeah. I think that's one of the good things about image. I've always found is they do have those breaks, and people do kind of accept them. It was the same thing with like sagas come back, and that yeah. had quite a long, long break. break, and three and, the, and a half years or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and the cliffhanger it fucking left it on. Oh, right. <laughs> 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 because. I've been behind, like I'm behind on pretty much all of my comic reading and I buy the saga hardcovers. So uh, I've managed to avoid all spoilers and I got like the second or the second or third, I think it was the second hardcover and it ends on that. And then I literally was like, what the fuck? Went on my computer, like <laughs> Google when the next one was and it was just like, it's on hiatus. And then it came back like the other month and I've yeah. I've avoided everything at the moment because I still want to get the hardcovers. Yeah. But that is one of the things where you do kind of accept, especially through image. It's a hiatus because they're gearing up to create the next wave of series. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so that was sort of like a, this weird emotional thing for me to learn, you know, I, as a reader of image comics, I understood that mm. on a technical level as a reader, like, okay, you know, I'll come back when it's ready, but when it's your own project and I've been, the bulk of my career has been for a major publisher mm where that sort of is not the thing. Um, you know, I've been super wary and stressed and nervous about the inevitable publishing gap. Yeah. Um, and so I've had lots of conversations with Eric Stevenson over at Image. Uh, and he's always like, it'll be okay. It, it, you know, mm. <laughs> it's, you know, and then when it came down to, issue six about to hit shelves and I'm still working on issue seven, you know, I'm like, so I'm like, I mean, we got to figure out the publishing schedule. What are we going to do mm. about the next arc? And his response was, was super sweet of him. He's like, his response was like, he's like, uh, he's like, well, well, you know, don't worry about it. And then he, and he's like, but just so you know, you know, we are doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, we'll worry about solicitation again when, when you've reached a certain number of issues again. Mm. Yeah. And he just, he, he kind of seems to not sweat it. Yeah. Which is, which is helpful for me as mm. a creator to like, okay, my publisher seems to be rolling with what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How long did it take 
for these first six issues, like when did you start like the first page of issue one up until completing issue six? How long was that period of time? It was bizarrely extra long. Mm. Um, uh, I, I don't know if I could... It was years for sure. Mm. Uh, but multiple things came up during that process that kept derailing production. And I remember reading in the back of issue one is like the way we live anthology and yeah. all the things and the pandemic and everything. Yeah. So um, for, first of all, we moved to another state mm. that was much more time consuming than I thought. I had barely started the first issue at the point that we mo- decided to move. Um, so our moving wasn't planned in the schedule. So we got set up here. That took a lot more time than we thought. Um, and then shortly after moving here, I, you know, getting back to work, then I end up being deathly ill. Mm. I, uh, I almost died. Oh, fuck no. uh, yeah. Um, I ended up with uh, uh, appendicitis. Um, uh, we suspect my, just before I went into surgery, we suspect it burst, uh, because after surgery, I came home after surgery and I only got worse after mm. coming home. So we had to go back and it turned out I ended up with sepsis. So I was hospitalized for quite a while. Um, uh, I didn't realize how bad it was until after mm. and my wife was explaining to me how bad it was. It's a very scary proposition, uh, particularly for her. Mm. Um, uh, and in that, the recovery time, I got back to work, um, I don't know, four months after. Mm. It, it was slow. Yeah. I was really exhausted. It, I, I don't think I, there are certain aspects I still deal with left over from that. And that was years ago at this point. Uh, but um the amount of energy it took for me. Like I remember coming home, I couldn't get up the stairs. I was so incredibly weakened. Um, and it, I was so exhausted that even my mind, the way I was thinking about things changed. So it's like your subconscious was like, cause I knew I had certain things I had to do. Cause like one of the other things I had to do, I had signed a contract to intermittently, while working on Echo Lands, do uh, an illustrated uh, version of Dracula mm. for Amazon. Um, so they wanted me to do 50 illustrations for a new new edition of the novel. And they were really gracious about it, about me, you know, my, what happened and stuff. They even sent me like a little gift. It was mm. funny. Uh, they sent me like a stuffed kidney. Or, or or appendix my wife to say appendix <laughs> and but i afterward i was so exhausted from the whole uh incident that i it was funny i kept telling them i'm like i understand if you need to move on mm. I, I wouldn't say i'm i'm bowing out but i kept like giving them the option yeah. to because i kind of was like yeah i'd be okay with that because I, I'm exhausted, you know, mm. but they just kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And so I ended up, once I started feeling better, I started working on that and while picking away at Echo Land. But that whole process, I mean, I lost probably 10 months 
just mm. that whole process alone. Yeah. Fuck. And then as we, you know, start getting back onto production, then the whole Vegas shooting happened mm. and the Where We Live book happened. Um, that ended up being a much bigger process than we anticipated. Emotionally, emotionally exhausting. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I, my wife did a lot of research and finding the people who would actually talk to us who were involved that, you know, were affected. They were at mm. the event. And so before we connected them with a creator who would tell their story in the book, mm. we had to do these, what we considered uh, a pre-interview, an interview yeah. in preparation of the interview. <laughs> yeah, uh, And that was really difficult mm. hearing yeah. stories. So there was that aspect. And then all the production time that took, uh, even though I only did some of the illustration in it, a small part of the illustration, the amount of time it took was just crazy. I think we lost another year to that. Mm. Uh, so there was like all these little things that kept, you know, happening. I made it, made a joke with Hayden, my co-author mm. on this, you know, that, uh, I'm like, is this book cursed? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then the pandemic happened. Uh, it's just everything slowed down and the work being taking so long, you know, in combination with that, uh, the book is so challenging to do mm. that it, there's no way it would ever meet a standard production schedule. Mm. The no. whole thing is a, a, a learning curve. And in some ways it's a learning curve all the way through. So the, at the beginning, I thought the pages, you know, oh, I can do these pages in the same amount of time I, I would spend on, you know, Batman or Sandman pages. Even those, the, those took long, longer than normal too, but mm. not in the way this did. And because I was like, okay, yeah, we're landscaped shape. So what? It's the same. I'm working on the same dimensions. It's just turned sideways, yeah. right? No, it changed everything. It, it was such a learning process on how to set up the visual storytelling that it was very difficult. Mm. And there's still things I'm learning along the way, right? I guess working in standard comic book style or format for so long, even yeah. though I do a lot of double pages, for so long, your brain is automatically imprinted for that yeah. shape, you know, the portrait shape, I guess it's called. Yeah. And so even today, you know, there's pages on the new issue where I'm like, oh yeah, no, that doesn't work the way I thought it would. <laughs> and so I have to like make these adjustments and there's a constant learning curve. Mm. Uh, and that slows things down a lot too. Mm. So there's things where the layouts might de- deviate from what was described in the script. Mm. when we wrote the script because I have a certain thing in my head that I put into the script and I'll have to radically change, you know, so that's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Now that that technical slowdown in combination with dealing with the the variety of art styles, but all yeah. the world building. So like that's the other thing that makes this book a little bit slower to produce is it's a giant world that we're building with lots of diversity of locale. So every time you move and then we don't stay in one location long. So mm-hmm. Every time you change location, you have to rethink all of what your yeah. set dressing is. 
But because we're not in location very long, you cannot flub any opportunity to sell the environment. Yeah. Right. So every panel, I have to consider what's in the background because I only have a limited opportunity to convince the reader of what the setting is. Yeah. Yeah. That all takes a lot. Yeah. No, like I'm behind. So I'm going to admit I've, I've only got the first two issues of Echo Land so far. I've got the others coming because I think issue six came out this month. Yeah. 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 Beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got the first two issues and just those panels are just insane levels of detail. But for this next arc, do you have like a certain amount of issues or a certain amount of pages you'll have in the bank before you start soliciting the next like arc of things? Or do you have a goal in mind? Uh, We don't have a set number of issues. Uh, uh, My conversation with Eric Image, he's like, he's like, we'll we'll talk about solicitation once issue eight is done. Mm. But I have a feeling that will probably stall out from there because you want the next arc to roll out consistently yeah. or, or change, or you'll have to change the, um, the time between issues. So maybe, maybe it becomes bi-monthly at that mm. point or, or something like that. So like one of the things we did with the, the first arc we had simultaneously, uh, beginning with issue two, you had, uh, what we call raw cut editions, mm. well, which is where you get to see the artwork as it looked leaving my studio mm. um uh just for the fun of doing something like that uh so if we decide to continue with that which i think eric wants probably to do maybe the the setup will be you know we have instead of those coming out at the same time mm. so like issue two came out at the same time as raw cut number one came out mm. so maybe what we do is like you have issue seven then the next month is issue seven raw cut. Yeah. You kind of spread it out. Mm. That might, it's something I'm thinking about. I don't know if that's what we'll do, mm. but that would buy us more time. And particularly because like the part of the story that we're in right now is, uh, so you, since you've got issues one and two, you've been introduced to Rosa. Yeah. Um, we get to see where she's from. Oh, cool. So everything is like her. <laughs> it's all fully black and white mm. rendered. Those pages, I'm, it's taking me two weeks easily for for one spread. Yeah. So when you look at that and you do the math versus the number of pages per issue, plus cover, plus writing, plus back matter material. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it makes me feel, I have a lot of trepidation over it, but it seems like the people I've heard from uh, a few people wondering about the schedule on like Twitter or whatever have been kind of like, we'll wait. Yeah. Don't rush. Don't rush it. Mm. Make it, make it uh, what it's supposed to be. So, yeah. which yeah. is nice. Hopefully that's true when, when yeah. they actually hit the shelf and they'll, they'll yeah. be there to read it. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Man. And one of the things I loved about these issues at the back of them, you've got like what you were listening to at the time and stuff. What yeah. was the thought process of including those into it? Was it just to give the reader a bit more of a depth to what your process is? Or was it, you know, look how fucking cool my record collection is? <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, we just kind of did it for fun. So like, um, 
because we... the one thing I love as well is it's not just like the artist and the record, it's what it is as well. So it's like marbled vinyl, whatever oh, yeah. it is. <laughs> I'm showing off my my because it's uh, a lot of the items are my wife's as well that we choose. So yeah, we're showing off our our fetishist attitude towards record collecting there. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, when we were working on Salmon Overture. This is what kind of gave us the idea to do the raw cuts with Echoland. So when we were working on Sandman Overture, they decided to do what they called Sandman Overture Special Editions. And those rolled out between the regular issues of that series. And one of the things that the editor thought about including, because she knew we were such audiophiles, she's like, hey, you know, let's put the list of what you listen to Mm. in there as one of the features in the special edition. And so uh, when we started thinking about what should be in uh, the Echoland's back matter, you know, we were thinking, oh, well, that might be fun. Let's, let's do that again here. Mm. Um, uh, it's in, and it's turned out to be quite popular. I, mm. uh, I, didn't, I, I just, you know, I was looking for pages to fill rather than putting in ads. Yeah. Um, uh, I know there's there's been a couple of people who are like, well, couldn't you just like do another, add more art or more, uh, some other backstory feature instead of using those pages? And I'm like, and I'm like, we've already we're already giving you 24 to, you know, 30 some odd pages per issue uh, of content. It wouldn't it wouldn't it would take even longer to get the issues out. Yeah, like if someone's so, saying that. Like, and if someone's saying, tell them to go fuck themselves, man. Like, <laughs> how how dare they ask for more? <laughs> uh, but for the most part, people are super excited about it. So, like, uh, uh, it's funny because, like, I, when I get letters from fans, um, that inevitably comes up mm. in one form or another. Uh, some people are like, oh, I don't know why that's there, but most people, I'd say eighty to ninety percent of them, love that feature. And when we decided to do it, we had no idea that that was going to mm. be so popular. Yeah. Uh, and I still don't know quite know why it's popular. My wife, she's like, no, I this can be popular. So like when we started getting the first letters for the series, and that was being brought up a lot, and she's like, she's like, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> <You know? laughs> mm. um, and I. I it's interesting that it's become so popular. And the only thing I can think of is people, it gives people like, Oh yeah. I, I like that same band, yeah. you know, I can connect with this creator yeah. as another human being yeah, because of the shared uh, love for this, this music. You yeah. Know? It just peels like the veil back a bit more where you're like, Oh, they like, cause I, in this, it was a, there's a lot of Bowie and it, and you Marcone, yeah. and it's like, Oh, fucking awesome i really like those and you like yeah. looking through like i really enjoy that like i the biggest regret i have is when i met stan lee i wanted to ask him what music he listened to because i didn't know and i'd never really heard it in an interview and i was it's stan lee and i was meeting him and i completely just froze so i never got to ask him but that's the type of things i really like to find out yeah. about people is because you can tell a lot by someone's music taste and their choices oh i didn't think about that yeah yeah so I'm, I'm stoked that people are super excited about it and, you know, enough to where people were like, 
uh, one letter came in recently and they're like, yeah, Echolance gets moved to the top of my reading pile right away. Now, not just because they like the story, but because they're eager to read that feature. Mm. They want to see it. They want to know what's going to be in there. Mm. And it's prompted a lot of people to go explore things. Like if they haven't heard of something, something, they're like, oh, well, what is that? And they go discover something, whether they like it or not like it, you know? Mm. And that's that's fun. It's sort yeah. of this little music community, you know. Yeah, no, definitely, man. That's so cool. And like one of the things I do love is that like you've included the letters because I don't know, I don't think Marvel books have them in anymore. I haven't read any Marvel yeah, in a while. So but, yeah, but I don't. You don't really get to see that much anymore. And I really like that you've included that as part of it. Was that kind of one of those things again where it's building a community with the ind- like image being yeah. a relatively independent publisher? It's just something else to build together yeah yeah uh i've always loved letters pages too in in comics and it, it's sad that some went away to such a large degree i yeah because i i don't know i think people like to see what other people's thoughts are like you mm. know you might read a letter and you're like oh i didn't think about that particular detail yeah. in that way mm. uh or that you can relate to something in the same way that the letter writer relates, you know? Mm. Um, uh, so yeah, I was really eager to have a letters page, but at the same time, it does, it does make things a little daunting. Cause you're like, well, are we going to get letters? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. Um, we don't get as many letters as I would like. <laughs> uh, and I don't know. We've have gotten quite a few from people who are like, oh, this is the first time I've written mm. a letter to a book. So I think maybe because letters pages aren't so common anymore. Yeah. And so maybe some people are like maybe nervous to send off a letter or they don't want it to they they like the book, they don't, but they don't yeah. feel like they need to comment about it. Um uh so there's occasion where we'll have you know multiple letters printed you know consecutive issues by the same person because they write consistently Mm. you know we've had a few people that you know write each time Mm. uh and so uh uh, which is fantastic i love that it inspires them to keep writing to us yeah uh but yeah it'd be great to have more letters for sure (laughs) Mm. yeah and did you ever send any letters when you were reading books like when you were younger and letters columns were still a thing yeah I, i think i did I think I did. Uh, to I can't remember to where, but I think it was probably to a Marvel comic mm. when I was little. I don't know if it got there. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the cool thing about the letters page is that we've heard from a couple people uh, who haven't written a letter to a comic in, you know, according to them, decades. Yeah, and they're like. Oh, they see a letters page. They like the material, and it has inspired them to to write a letter. And they haven't written a letter to a comic in yeah. forever, you know, for a long time. <laughs> that is super cool. You know, yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah, no, that's what because I I wrote, wrote a letter to in the UK. They did like a reprinting of like a ton of Marvel comics. So they always used to do like a Spider Man one where they'd have like a few issues of like the Jay Straczynski Romita run, and they brought out one which was half Daredevil, half Hulk. And it was like the mighty world of Marvel was like the reprint of it. And uh-huh. I was collecting them when I was like 10 or 11. And I wrote in 
not knowing that these are reprints of Frank Miller's run from like the 80s. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I had no idea. I thought this was right. like fresh shit. And yeah. I, was, I remember it's awful, like looking back on it, but I was a dumb kid. But I was like writing and being like, I really hope Daredevil and Electra work out. <laughs> <laughs> and I look back and I've still got that comic with like my little letter in the back from when I was like 11. And it's like, oh. But, oh, I, just, cool, but yeah. I just love those letter columns. And like, you see, George R. R. Martin wrote in to a Fantastic One. I've seen that shit oh, yeah. around the internet where he wrote to like the Fantastic Four, which yeah, is just yeah. awesome. But I do love those letter columns. And that's what I really enjoyed about this was it's like, there's so much extra that's not necessarily just like artwork and about the story, but about world building and community building. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, I, I, I don't know why letters pages went away to begin with other than maybe it became a time management mm. issue uh, in terms of the production time for comics. Uh, yeah. If that had a role to do with it or they needed to cut it because they needed to have an ad to pay, help pay for the comics existence. Yeah. Uh, but there's something that's really nice about the whole idea of you know, people being inspired by something like that to where they write. And, um, and I think it promotes the health of the book. Yeah. Uh, even if the sales are not so great, it, it, you know, it's, I don't know, I guess. And the other thing, the internet has made a big impact too. Mm. You know, like a lot of discussion about comics happens on the web. And so maybe, that plays a role in why law letters pages don't exist anymore. Mm. But I kind of feel like, I don't know. I like the whole idea of like, well, you know, let's make a, make a thing where people feel like they can have some sort of investment in it. Yeah. You know, in the letters page, I hope feels, you know, like that contributes to that. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's important for like comics, especially that on part of the big two where you want that loyal, like, not like um cult classic like they've got a cult following to it because it's kind of like the same way like clutch like they aren't a massive band but they're diehard fans because they've got that connection with them and it's that type of thing you don't need to have a million sales but if you have consistently those people buying the book that's going to just keep everything churning right and it, it also builds this thing where like the the amount of Cause like some of the letters that we would get, I could, you know, I created a, a special email account for those to go to. Uh, and some of, some of the ones, if I'm short on time, I, you know, say, I'll, you know, we'll try to reply to this in the pages mm-hmm. of Echoland. Uh, but there's other instances, if I have time, uh, I'll pre-write my response that will end up being printed mm. in Echolands, but I'll email it to them. Yeah. And, a lot of people were like, whoa, you know, you've taken the time to actually respond to me directly. Mm. And I think, you know, that can help in terms of how people, like I said, the investment the, per- yeah. the person wants to give to this thing that they think they like. Yeah. And then if you build that sense of like, no, that their, their interaction with you or their investment in, in your project matters to you enough that you will respond to them. Yeah. Even if it's a short response you're giving them a response Mm. you know that can help the the health of the book 
So that person could be like, you know, maybe more likely to say, Hey, I like this thing and tell more people that they like this. Yeah. Thing. And maybe inspire others to maybe check it out. Mm. I mean, you know, so that I guess positive energy creates positive energy. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 what you hope for. So like the situation with, with clutch, every person that they have gained as a loyal uh, fan, hopefully is inspired in a way to share that love to somebody who does not know clutch yet. Yeah. So it's like this slow, ripple effect yeah grow you know and yeah i think that's relatively true when you think about yeah clutch might not be this ginormous band but look at their career trajectory compared to where they started yeah right it's that that is that ripple effect right Mm, yeah they more and more people know them and that probably has a lot to do with not just the quality of their music but with the they want that engagement yeah 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 Yeah. no that's awesome well I've talked up quite a lot of your time and I don't want to oh, take okay. up too much of <laughs> it all. So I'll let you go soon, but obviously you're working on Echo Lands at the moment. Is there anything you really, because I know obviously you've got a huge record collection behind you. Is there anything new you've been spinning or anything you've dove into lately music wise that you've just been loving? Uh, this morning we replayed um, Concrete Blonde's Bloodletting. Mm. Uh, haven't listened to that album in a while. And um such an incredible record mm. incredible record uh enough that i'm like oh i wish johnette napolitano would make some new music <laughs> mm. that's an yeah incredible stuff uh mm. uh what else did i listen to recently um i tend to file stuff away quickly so. <laughs> um oh i recently picked these up I haven't listened to them yet, but I've, I've listened to some of the songs. I know some of it, but the Mississippi Shakes. Oh, nice! From Third Man Records, which is mm. it's like I guess it's the complete um, complete recordings yeah. over five LPs. It's great old blues stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been you know I don't know my my tastes are so all over the place. Like it's hard for me to pin down like something I. I'm jazz about more than another. Yeah. I get into these weird little, uh, little, uh, kicks, I guess. So like, mm. you know, uh, but I always, I always have love for old blues or, uh, funk. Yeah. Funk stuff. But then I'll be equally as excited over, you know, like the LP that I got from you. Mm. Was fantastic. Oh, thank you so um, much. Uh, or the you know the new Orville Peck, mm, yeah, you know, cannot wait for that. You yeah. Know? yeah, so yeah, yeah. No, I've just I was uh, trying to find someone made a playlist on Spotify called Country Music for Communist Bitches, <laughs> <laughs> and I found it because obviously I have my artist profile on Spotify, and you can see what playlist you can't even add it to. And I got added to an Orville Peck like fans playlist, oh, and then cool. it was me on this kind of playlist. Orville Peck was on that, and I was like. If I can find out who put that playlist together, I want to send them a t-shirt because it made my, <laughs> it made my week. I bet. <laughs> but That's with awesome. yeah, but with such a diverse like genre hopping style that you have, what was the first genre that you sunk your teeth into that you really like loved? The first genre that <laughs> this probably will make you laugh, uh, but the first 
I mean, the first records I ever bought with my own money was um, was Blondie. Mm. It was, I think, I want to say it was the Atomic single. Mm. It was probably the first thing I bought. I think it was Atomic. Um, but I liked, at that period, I liked them, you know, I, I liked things like Early Human League mm. or uh, Early Gary Newman or... Um, the first couple LPs from a flock of seagulls actually. Mm. Uh, but then after that, I got into like really deeply uh, into goth. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I, I'm an old goth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was heavily into, and what started it for me actually was the discovery of the sisters of mercy mm. and Bauhaus, of course. Um mm. But uh, I think it was really the Sisters of Mercy. So, like, my trajectory for that was the first LP I got that would have been considered a goth record was um, uh, the first uh, mission LP, God's Own Medicine. Mm. Um, And I fell in love with that. I was like, whoa, what is this? And at the time, I was, like, a big fan of David Bowie, too. Mm. And I, I noticed that... I gravitated to a lot of the stuff from Bowie where he's saying in a baritone. Mm. Uh, for some reason, that tone of voice uh, really resonated with me. I don't know why. Still can't say why. Mm. Um, it just stirs stirs me yeah. inside, you know? Um, so hearing Wayne Hussey on the Mission in the UK's uh, God's Own Medicine, I was like, wow, what is this? You know, it's had all this emotionality to it. It's darkness. And I was attracted to the dark sounds mm. of it and this was back in the day where i lived in the bay area and i would after work would go to uh the record store tower records and i would scour through all the lps and that's where i discovered the mission and i was lo- looking at uh the mission record already familiar with it and i um had it in my hand uh, maybe they had put out the first chapter lp which was like that collection of yeah. singles or whatever and i think i had that in my hand and i was look and i was looking at a copy of first and last nalways from the sisters and i'm mm. like why do these things seem related i don't understand <laughs> i couldn't figure it out other than wayne hussey's name was on there mm. for the for that first sisters lp and i'm like huh trying to wrap my head around it and um I ended up asking uh, one of the people working there. I'm like, hey, do you know anything about this record? And they're like, well, if you like that mission stuff, you're going to like that. Mm. <laughs> Not understanding that one came before the other. Yeah. The sisters came first. Um, uh, and then I took that home first, last, and always. And I, that just changed everything for me. I was like, I heard that record. I'm like, what? <laughs> what is this? It was so intense mm. um not to dismiss what the mission does or did back then but i feel like the sisters material uh had more more profoundness mm. um it really i don't know spoke to my soul i guess for mm. lack of a better term uh and i just became obsessed with the sisters off that and then immediately found out that oh well this really isn't their first material they have 
these singles and EPs that came before that. I found some of that stuff uh, as imports, mm. uh, you know, uh, you know, things like Temple of Love and thing, uh, Anaconda and um, uh, Alice, things like that. And, um, and, uh, and hearing those, and those were distinctly unique compared to first and last and always. Mm. So first and last and always, you can definitely hear that mission in, Wayne Hussey influence in some yeah. of the way that some of the shimmering guitar work and things like that is there before he before that record this the the sister stuff before that is just as profound and compelling to me but it has uh an even colder darker edge mm. that is like oh this is even more this is even more for me <laughs> uh and then just followed them sub- subsequently from there and splintered out into uh, you know other goth bands yeah. you know, sisters of mercy Bauhaus, joy division uh uh i'm sure there's some others i can't think well feels the nephilim of course mm. um and i love their evolution how much they changed and of course i went and uh i became so obsessed with the sisters that when i i began to read up about them found little things that i could read up about them and discovered that there was all these offshoots and related projects mm. like you know the march violets and james ray and his various incarnations and i fell in love with all of that stuff yeah. even though it doesn't doesn't all quite have that same sound but at the same time even though i got really into goth music uh uh i was still really picky about it i wouldn't <laughs> just like accept any goth yeah. album that came along <laughs> Uh, however, as much as I love the Sisters of Mercy, I would say probably one of the it's a it's a competition in terms of what I would consider the darkest feeling record is a toss up between their EP Reptile House, mm. which is in, insanely intense, and the Cure's Pornography mm. album. Uh, that's another band that went through an interesting uh, evolution because they start off kind of with a little bit more of a punk attitude mm. and then went uh where they got a lot of dark gothy stuff going on and then moved into almost like a dreamy pop thing mm. you know uh so i think one of the things that's so, so appealing to me about the cures pornography is that the first half of the album stark it's like what you would expect from classic cure or whatever and you're listening to it and you flip it over and the second half well, that first song is even darker than the first side. <laughs> it's pretty dark. I don't think you can get darker than that. The next song starts. Oh no, it's even darker than that <laughs> one. And that whole second side just has this trajectory that's so brilliant in terms of capturing that uh, oppressiveness. Mm. It just keeps getting darker and darker and darker as it goes. And that is, I don't know. I just can't. I re- almost relish that feeling. Mm. I don't know why. And uh, um, so I was really into that stuff. In, but then I would also like things like I'd like the transition that the cult made, where they went from sort of a gothy act mm. um, in the early days into they kept getting more um, a rock influence, you know. And then when you know Love came out, Love is such an incredible album from them. And then the follow up was you know electric hits the stands and you're like what 
you know, all of a sudden it's like this big arena sounding, yeah. uh, glorious, heavy 70s rock attitude in there. You know, yeah. it sounded like the title. Yeah. It was just electric. And I love that trajectory too. And that hearing stuff like that or hearing like the diversity of what Bowie's output would be or the diversity of Iggy Pop's output would be. Mm or Iggy Pop could go from a punk record to doing something like the idiot or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, and, and then Blondie too, my exposure to Blondie, how Blondie never allowed themselves to be pigeonholed as a sound. People tried to, but it's like, as they progressed, they're like, no, if we want to do a reggae track, we're going to do a reggae track. If we want to do a sixties pop thing, we're going to do a sixties pop thing. Mm. And I, I think I really appreciated that. I, and they would do that all in one record, right? One LP. And I really, I think that opened me up to the diversity of sounds. Yeah. Uh, being uh, able to jump from one music genre to another because of what my early experiences with that stuff. Yeah. You know? And I think that translated to my comics work, actually, in a weird way. Because mm. growing up in the Bay Area, I was exposed to a wide variety of comics in different styles and was enamored by all of them. And I, that translated to what I do now to where I'm all over the place. Cause I'm yeah. like, Oh, I like to, let's see what this does. And let's see what that does, you know, mm. kind of thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Like I was going to say like the evolution you were talking about and, you know, Blondie not sticking to a particular style. Obviously you have, like, if you look at a piece by, you can see that it's your work, but it's not, so one track that you can't see like all the yeah. evolutions and variations like if you look at you know from batwoman to echo lands you can see that it's you in the foundation and you're there but it's the transition and the evolution and you wanting to do other things and take those risks and you know challenge yourself it's all on the page to show that evolution yeah yeah and also it's sort of like me exploring well what does this particular style technique do Mm. what's it feel like when you when i look at it what's it feel like when i draw using a certain type of line versus a different line on this Mm. panel next to it yeah or whatever and i part of my evolution for that came from my work on promethea because lots of parts of promethea was sort of like this acknowledgement of an appreciation of all art and so I started looking at a lot of different things. I'm like, oh, wow, this, you know, look at this art on these Mexican film noir posters, you know, compared to, oh, but, but look at that next to this Mobius book. <laughs> Completely two different yeah. things, but I, I, I would be super excited by all of it. And Promethea kind of was built, built in a way that would allow you to dabble in those various things, particularly as we started exploring the second arc with the Kabbalah quest mm. storyline where each realm had a different feel that really opened up things. And I quickly learned at that point, because it really, it, I don't know how it is for other comics creators or artists when you're early on in that trying to build yourself, there's this thing like, well, what is my style? Mm. What is my, my thing? And for a long time, like when I was, trying to be uh, just be an artist you know i had that going on in my head well what, what am i do what am i going to do that's not like anybody else right yeah. 
And I, my time on Promethea kind of taught me that it was a bit of a trap. Uh, and my time on Promethea, because we would research uh, various types of art. Mm. So, you know, some way older than comics, for sure. Um, that I was like, okay, anything I do has already been done. <laughs> Stylistically. I cannot bring anything new to in terms of a style no one has seen before. That just is nonsense. It doesn't exist. So I might as well look at what all these styles that are before me that I love so much and see what I can learn from them by toying with what they do and incorporating it in a way that might not be expected. Mm. Uh, And that, and so Promethea brought that. I explored more of it on the subsequent uh, projects like Seven Soldiers and and Batwoman and um, Desolation Jones and Salmon Overture. It just kept propelling that. And so I guess if I could say I have a, my style is the exploration of styles. Yeah. And how do I make them? What do I do with them that maybe is a commentary of the style or that style that I chose is a commentary on what I'm, what the story is doing, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And I think one of the things that holds it together is my, the, the, my exploration of panel design mm-hmm. holds it together. And the underpinnings of all that stuff is still my sensibility of construction, the yeah. way I set up a panel or, you know, all that is still under there, even if I'm, you know, dabbling with mm. uh, a European quality line work on this, this shot or whatever, yeah. you know. Mm. Uh, and I feel like it's such a big, vast world of art that's already existed that I just look at my, what I do career-wise is just one big long learning experience mm. that will never end. Yeah. <laughs> Now, that's, that's, I think, is the best way to do it because obviously I'm a huge fan of your work and how you describe it and how you talk back about it. It is, if you're trying to be a creative person or if you are a creative person, finding your voice doesn't necessarily mean you get to find it on the first album or the first like book yeah. you do. It's each one is just the chapter or the verse of what your voice is. And then yeah. it's only when you really look back, it's like, oh, that's what my style is at that point but that doesn't mean it's going to be that for right. going forward. Right. And there's things that I was exposed to as a kid, like somebody, I, I think somebody ended up asking me, Oh, you must've been, is, is Jim Sterling's work an influence on your work? And I think at the time that I loved Jim Sterling for sure. Mm. Loved, loved it growing up one some of my favorite stuff but i never considered it an influence on my work until someone asked me mm. i'm like oh yeah that makes sense i would, went back and looked at different pages that yeah he did and i'm like oh yeah i see the correlation you know uh something he maybe did, did with a layout was interesting mm. or whatever like that and uh, a lot of those things i was exposed to as a kid that i don't necessarily fully recall a yeah. specific page it's sort of like this weird subconscious imprinting mm. that sort of regurgitates itself out in the creative process. Yeah. I, I, you know, is it same 
probably that way for you with music too i imagine yeah definitely like sometimes like i remember when i was in my first band and it was like you are trying to work on what you're doing i always kind of fell in the trap of listening to the same genre i was playing in and it got to the point where i'd go to practice to like and show a new song to the other guitarist and he could basically tell me what metal album i'd listened to that week and it's one of those things where it's just like you don't realize how much you're absorbing subconsciously and it's the same type of thing now where i'm trying to write something and i can kind of see who i've kind of been influenced by or who i've stolen that from because it's in the latest single i've released i directly quote public enemy because i'm just a huge fan of that and i always had their man plans god laughs track has just been like i'm a huge fan of that song and i included man plans god laughs in this single because it was just in me it's just one of those phrases i've used for so long that it was part of my vocabulary of explaining stuff yeah it's just you don't realize until you actually sit down if i'm writing a song or i'm working on something it's like oh that's from that but then it's twisted in a way that it's not really recognizable until you go back and look at it and go oh it's that thing yeah so that uh for lack of a better term a remix of thought yeah yeah so it's like you know i think there it's it's interesting because there's a tendency to some degree of some people but i think this is sort of disappearing over time but there's a tendency to like oh well you know we can see the influence on whatever so uh yeah what's wrong with you you know what i mean but now i think we're evolving to a time where because we're in such a mishmash world where you have access to just about anything all at once Mm. that something like in my uh my wife thinks it's a little funny because i've gotten obsessed with uh a lot of old music and here i was like this goth guy (laughs) she met me you know uh but here I'm going back to like, you know, oh man, this LP from 1969. <laughs> Listen to this. This was happening in 1969. But for me, it's like that was recorded in 1969, but I haven't heard it until now. Yeah. For me, it's right now. And I think there's a lot of that going on in all kinds of creative uh, mediums mm. where it's like this mishmash of creativity. And so hopefully the that little bit of an attitude like, oh, well, you know why why are you drawing like so and so or why is your song sound like so and so hopefully that goes uh being considered negative thing go away because i think it's it's inevitable that we're going as creative people if you're partaking of creative projects Mm. as a uh someone who loves them and uh and a fan of them and you are a creative person yourself, you cannot help but be inspired by it in some form or another. And it yeah. will show in some yeah. form or another. No, definitely. Sometimes overtly and sometimes not overtly. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. I think there, there's a defeatist attitude or there used to be where it's like, you know, like you said, like everything's been done. Everything's been said. Everything's yeah. been drawn. Everything's been seen. But that yeah. doesn't mean I don't get to say it again in my own way if I want to. Exactly. If that's how I feel at that time, I get to say it again with my own voice exactly exactly and you know over time like your expression of uh, a certain style of song that calls back to something else you might recognize that but someone new 
or a younger uh, music fan might not know that reference. Yeah. yeah. And so you're, you're, you dabbling with it kind of gives them something, to, it gives them something like to explore. It's yeah. new for them, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think the trick is, I think the trick to it is like when, like for myself, is, is fully admitting that. Yeah. And not pretending, oh no, there is no one else like what I do. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's yeah. probably other, you know, there's other, other, like particularly like in panel arrangements, uh, unique panel arrangements. You know, there's some artists out there from decades ago who were doing so much similar thing and probably did it better, you know, but I'm still learning. I, I feel like I'm, I've learned from them and trying to make something that is how I see it. Yeah. You know, that's okay. Yeah. And be honest about that. Don't don't pretend like oh well you know. No one does what I do. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. nonsense. Get out of here. Yeah, no, that's definitely <laughs> the thing. Because I remember I learned about Robert Johnson because there was an article in Metal Hammer magazine about like devil music, and it's obviously like all these metal bands have been singing about the devil. But did you know in the thirties Robert Johnson was singing about it? I'm like oh shit, and that's why I did see that. But then. You know, in comics, someone can do a panel with like the Kirby Crackle if it's in yeah. space. That might be someone's first introduction to Jack Kirby to be like, well, what's that effect? Someone yeah. goes, oh, well, that's that. And obviously those comics are still there. Obviously he created all these characters, but unless you go back, you may not necessarily know that he was the guy who was drawing them right. back in the day. And it's right. it's having that transparency and being open. And it's like, yeah, like you aren't acting like you created the fucking thing. It's just like, I'm paying homage, I'm paying tribute and I'm, open the door that if you want to go that way there's a ton of cool shit that you can find that way yeah that even though that's a uh, very uh uh direct example like the kirby crackle yeah. and you see a lot of people use it and which is fine but there's a reason they use it yeah because the, nothing looks better right yeah so use it it's and I, I find myself gravitating to using Cur- Kirby Crackle energy here and there. You'll spot it in, as you go along the Echo Lands here and there. Because I, my feeling when I look at that stuff from him is like, yeah, that feels right. That yeah. feels like the energy that I, that I can feel it. And so you want to, if you're trying to capture that same feeling, not just a style thing, yeah. but the feeling of you get and you're trying to capture yeah. that. Yeah use it why wouldn't you no one did it better yeah so you know uh and i think yeah being completely open and honest about that is like mm. a way to to be creative i guess yeah uh. <laughs> that's that's all you can do because you can't be creative in isolation because you w- wouldn't be able to you'd have no base of reference you'd have no inspiration like everything has to kind of feed into itself and then hopefully you kind of regurgitate something that's an amalgamation and new and interesting, hopefully. Yeah. And there's this thing, you know, where something you might have thought of is similar to something that you haven't seen before. Mm. You know, um, that happens where, you know, creators will, or musicians will be on a similar train of thought without having been exposed to each other. But it's also possible both those individuals or band or creative team on a comic book were exposed to the same thing in their past yeah 
even though, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's all these tangential connections that can happen too, or, or, you know, a, a similar train of thought or a similar idea. You know, you see yeah. it in science fiction, right? You'll see science fiction authors who might not have ever read each other, but, you know, oh, wow, well, that's so similar to this mode of thinking over here. But doesn't mean one one is wrong just because yeah. it came first or whatever, you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Or came second after yeah. somebody else. Yeah. 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 No, definitely. And that's like the beautiful thing about the creative process is it's you get to, you know, if you want to draw from those inspirations or you want to, subtly hinted something but it doesn't mean that you have to just like copy it it's just however you right. want to interpret it in your own style and that's why i really like about your work because especially in terms of comic books like with echo lands it touches on you know pre-established like myths and legends yeah. and characters but they're still fresh it's still an interest and take on it it's still subverting your expectation of it yeah yeah um yeah, and then with, you know, a lot of things in Echolands are very purposeful decisions, you know, versus, say, some of those things that might have cropped up in, in Batwoman, let's say. Because, yeah. uh, like, it's it's interesting because, like, in, some influences can be a purposeful choice. Like, mm. oh, this character, I see this character, this character, I think, is this. And it, it reminds me of this. So I'm going to go with that feeling. Yeah. Uh, but then there's other instances where you might have like randomly something in Batwoman or whatever, where it's like that influence is there, but you're not consciously aware mm. of it. That happens a lot. I think for a lot of people yeah, more than they realize, you know, they'll do something and not even realize, well, almost like what you were saying when you, that was like, Oh, I could tell what Metallica record. Yeah. Was. Yeah. yeah. But you weren't conscious of it. And that's not a terrible thing either. It's just like, you were inspired by that and it's kind of feeding into your, uh, the energy that you're putting yeah. out. Um, yeah, I think that's all, I think it's all cool. And I don't know how many people rail against that sort of thing, but they shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's there, there's an elitist culture in everything, but they're um, hopefully the normally just admired. They shout the loudest sometimes, but as people just kind of ignore movement maybe that's why they stopped doing letter columns because there were so many people being like well actually spider-man already did that in issue 31 so if you're doing it again in issue 84 you're sadly mistaken there and it's just like just let people enjoy things man and create what they want to do exactly yeah uh my wife makes a joke uh often she's like sometimes people just ruin it for themselves yeah (laughs) just she's like just enjoy the thing yeah Yeah, that's the funny thing man that's with like with all the new star wars things and stuff that comes out there is just like people just work themselves into a frenzy about it and you like just let it go man yeah we uh just recently uh watched uh boba fett Mm. and but before we watched i saw i like do deep dives on on it and twitter or anything like that but randomly i would see a comment here there where people are like oh it's so awful it's all this and all that and we watched it, and I'm like, I have nothing to complain about. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, know? it's like it's not perfect, but nothing is perfect. And I loved what it is. I loved the pacing of it, and it, you know, yeah, I don't know. So people are funny in that way, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I just watched um, the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out today. Oh, and um, it's 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 something like um. 
the best thing about it, I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older, but it was like an hour and 20 minutes, which was amazing because I got to watch, like, have me dinner, watch that film, and then I came on and started prepping for this and stuff. So it was like I got to watch a film and do something else in the evening as well. It wasn't just like a three-hour chunk like most films are now. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I saw like after I'd finished watching it, a lot of people just like raging against it and how oh, really? awful it is and just a middle finger to the franchise. And I'm like, huh, watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like it's not like a franchise that's absolutely hallowed. Like you can't right. be getting like right. you can't be getting right. too irate about it. It's just like just let it exist as what it is. If you don't like it, whatever. But to be saying that it's you know the worst thing ever is just ridiculous. It's, it, it, people just need stuff to fight against sometimes. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, people are funny. And there we have it, folks. That is episode 46 of Into the Van into the bag please support the things you love go check out echo lands by jh williams iii and hayden blackman on image comics it's fucking brilliant go listen to rogue radio go support rogue country go listen to mothman go listen to the next life and you know listen to things i'm not actively involved with so you know i don't seem to be as biased as i am and enjoy your week guys keep doing the things you love keep supporting the things you love and until next time peace